Hi, I'm Lawrence Diamond. And I'm Bob Matthews. And this is The Process of Production. Mate, how's your week been? Yeah, it's been good. Um, It really feels like things are, if not getting back to normal, but things are starting to move. Um, They are, they really are. Yeah, I've had a couple of conversations with artists with work that I did a year ago. And now they're starting to think about it coming out. And I think there was that thing when for all artists and and all people that wanted to be creative when the um, pandemic hit of looking for the silver lining and I can get all this stuff I've been meaning to do. And then once you realized it was going to be a really long one, I think a lot of people parked that music. Yeah. um, And also possibly lost their creativity. I certainly lost my happy thought around a certain period. Yeah, me too. Like I wasn't get there was no real work coming in over this winter, especially, and yeah, like everything just froze, didn't it? But now it feels like people are picking up those projects that they parked and actually open to doing new stuff again yes. and looking to the future with some hopefulness, which is great. And that that feeds into creativity as well because it's not just about, um, I mean, it is for people and it's really important like work and projects, but it's also just like that desire to like, oh, I'd like to say this with a song or I'd like to create this piece of music because I'm feeling this and this. And um, yeah. and there might be an opportunity to release it or perform it or all these things that are just so important yeah. for, for everyone who, who creates things to like put their work out there. That might be able to happen again. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are trying to write the summer jam for the <laughs> post-lockdown <laughs> Uh, yes i mean i've not been involved in any of them but i've heard a lot of artists saying like yeah i think this one's gonna be ready for summer and it'd be such a good summer tune i wonder what that tune will end up being that's that's i think there could be a big one right i feel like yeah there's gonna be some of the biggest hangovers ever when this like when we're allowed to have them and then there's gonna the tolerance will be just gone yeah and and there's gonna be a huge rush for the big summer banger that just drops yeah um the person we've interviewed this week charlie hugel was involved with producing the Celeste record, which was all set to be the album of 2020. And then because of the pandemic, it became the album of 2021. And it, yeah. they still got to record it in person, which I think Charlie talks about and it being really important, but it must've been a strange time for her as an artist. It must've been pretty tough to deal with, like gearing up for you know your debut album and it, it looking like it's gonna be one of the biggest albums of the year. And then just to have the skids put on everything thanks to covid i mean must have been tough yeah doesn't sound like um, it affected how much they enjoyed the record from listening to charlie which is nice to no, hear they sounded like they had a bloody great yeah. time uh and it didn't affect the success of the album when it eventually did came out this straight January. in at number 1 boom and it is a fantastic record yeah charlie was probably the most gregarious lovely man we've ever had the pleasure to to interview and I think part of that was that he was sat in his front room after a long day at the studio and was unwinding and was really happy to share. And because of that, he's on earpod headphones. Um, and yeah, as, so audio's not up to our usual standards. Yeah, but and as producers, we, we really wanted to focus on, on the audio quality, but we also realized as we keep hearing from producers, it's about feel more than... Uh, yeah. And we definitely got that from Charlie. So just that's a note to, to have in mind. And but, it still yeah. sounds still sounds really good, and still but we just wanted fine. to flag yeah. that up. And the other thing is just say thanks for all your notes from the first episode. We've really enjoyed uh, hearing from you and putting this podcast out there. We've got lots of exciting things we want to keep doing. So um, if you do want to get in touch with us on socials or emails, please do. All the details are in the show notes or at the end of the episode. Thanks so much to everyone who's listened so far. It really means a lot to us. Awesome. Right, to the interview. Charlie Hugel is a British producer, songwriter, and mixer. Starting his career at the Dairy Studios in Brixton, he had a huge breakthrough producing Florence and the Machine's You've Got the Love in 2009. The track was originally slated to be a B-side, but went on to be a key track in the band's success and took Charlie's career to the next level. Since then, his CV reads like a highlights reel of pop and indie music over the last decade, including Ed Sheeran, Crystal Fighters, Tom Grennan, Lapsley, Swim Deep, most recently, production work on the number one debut album from Celeste, Not Your Muse. We start by talking to him about his work on that record, which leads us to his advice on how to get the best vocal performance from an artist. Then we get his thoughts about the blurred line between production and mixing and how he navigates that in his work, and then get the amazing making of story behind You've Got the Love with Florence. 
the Celeste album is is where we wanted to start with questions t- today because okay, well, it's just come out and it's a great record and it's already proving to a, a, to be a huge success. So could you just start by talking us through your role in that and and kind of how you came to be involved in it? I guess. Oh well, firstly, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was very early last year, and I had like a few things on. Didn't have my teeth into like a big project which I love, you know, and this 2020 yeah. really taught me how much I love doing albums rather than a track here, a track there. And okay. kind of just, do, you know, I, I like getting into the world of the artist. Yeah, that's where I, I think probably do my best work because it's getting someone on side and then it's complete two-way street. So there's this initial time of exposing yeah. your Self and your ideas and what you, your vision to like the artist and it's a scary time because it can go one of two ways really and and hopefully you get a reciprocated response from them I like exercising openness you know and, and honesty as much as possible because the more I do that the more conducive it is for like an artist to do that as well and ultimately yeah. you just want to sort of get that two-way street going of honesty and because I'm so up for my vision to be changed, that's the thing. Like whenever nice. I enter into a project, I've never been, I have been in a band, but like <laughs> not, not of any note whatsoever. I just don't have that sort of thing of like trying to put myself on the record so much. I, I start every single project ever with um, fear. Yeah, you're like, yeah. you're just thinking like, oh God, is this like going to be the one where I get found out, you know, for like being <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to hear. Yeah. I'm kind of like now I'd be worried if I didn't yeah. yes. like feel like that before a session. Like no matter who it's with, you know, if yeah. it's Celeste, yeah, obviously the stakes are higher. I've got the trust of a major label to do a job. Hopefully I'll build her trust and, you know, all of these things, this intricate dynamics of her bands and, you know, everyone involved. But it all kind of starts from a place of me doubting myself. (laughs) I think with mixing, I feel like you get the anxiety later. Once, once you're so nearly there, then you're just like, that feels really, really good. And then you, you know, you can get there really, really quickly and get into like minute details. And then I often feel like this wave of like, Oh God, like, is this right? Yeah. And yeah. then, but then it passes really quickly with that mm. or, or it doesn't. And I'm like, right, do it again. Or like, you know, rethink it and that's fine. I know this sounds really cheesy and it's not always the case, but I get this thing when I'm mixing where like, if I get to a point and I'm on my feet, enjoying the tune, just like on my own, <laughs> dancing around. I know yeah. it's I've done good. Like, no, no. You know, I'm just, and I'm feeling it, you know, it's yeah. when I really start feeling it. And yeah. I'm like, do you know what? I'm here. You know, I can do little pushes and pulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm there. You know, and I, it's kind of I get that normally after I get the wave of anxiety and doubt. <laughs> when you're doing something like Celeste, and there's pressure, and I know that when you work with Ed, you'd been kind of brought in to maybe fix a single that they weren't quite sure about, and. Oh, yeah. From one aspect, you're thinking pressure, major label, deliver. But also, on the other hand, you get that thing that you're saying, which is like, I'm making music with these people. And do you occasionally, like, if you're, you know, you're tracking Celeste vocal and, like, the preamp's all fixed and it's all, you, you're cooking and you just sit back and go, this girl is killing this vocal and this is my job. Yeah, I mean, I have those moments every day, every single day of my life. Amazing. I, I know how lucky I am. You know, and and I know that sounds ridiculous, but I'm so bloody lucky to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, man, it's cool. I'm so aware of that. And I kind of like want to honour that with my work all the time. But then I think what you're talking about more is those moments of, oh my God, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am so lucky to be hearing this right now. Mm. So many times, yeah, when you're working with someone like Celeste, it's a private gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm millionaire families and stuff get to mm. like maybe have that you know, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. You know? Once, yeah. i think there's often a, a a process sometimes to get someone to the right frame of mind to be giving their complete ultimate take mm. or not necessarily their ultimate take but like in the right headspace so that mm. like their performance is is the same or better than if they were doing it live mm. because one thing i've 
encountered a lot artists who like don't like recording yeah and I think yeah. it took me ages to like pinpoint exactly w- what was happening with particular artists and I think you know there's artists who are born to be on the stage or they're born to like sing for people yeah. you know what, what's what are some of the things you do to get singers in that in that place then if, if they're not if they're not feeling it obviously that's going well, to vary think, artist to artist right? yeah but, I think so I think it does massively vary. I think sometimes you don't get them to that place, to be honest. Mm. I think a lot of comping <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes. Um, but then I think patience is a big one. And I think that's why I like, yeah. you know, the album process, um, because you have the time to do that, mm. you know, and it won't be like, okay, well, I'm not feeling this vocal. Mm. I will hype someone up and try and get them feeling as positive about the thing they're doing as possible. But, some days it's just not yeah. the, the right time to do it, you know, for one reason or another. Yeah. So having that ability to be like, do you know what? Let's come back to this. You're not doing it badly. You're just yeah. completely attached to it, you yeah. know. And that's fine. And because, you know, sometimes you're doing vocals at a time that doesn't suit the person or like, you know, I try and all things like that on a logistical level, I like to know exactly what they like from the off. So it's like, what time do you want to record? Yeah. Do you want do you want to eat loads of food before? Yeah. Do you want to eat nothing? Do you want to like have tea? Do you want to like have a glass of wine? Do you want yeah. To, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Do you want to do this in the booth? Do you want to do this in the control room? Like I want to sort of know their process and how they've enjoyed recording vocals before and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so just so that I know about all of that because I've often worked with people and it's like you know you you flogging away for like bloody hours and you're like what's well, not right and then they'll say they'll be listening to you the whole time like oh do it like this do it like that do it like the other whatever and then they'll kind of come in and be like oh yeah it's just it's just so different from like recording at home it's so different from when like i record in front of the speakers you know yeah 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 yeah. it's like well why didn't you bloody tell me it's, (laughs) it's also like being able to record your own voice and stuff as well this artist she was a phenomenal singer but like just not attaching to it in the same way and i think it was like because it was not on her terms and so like I just borrowed a mic got her set up I think went around to her house set everything up like loads of headroom (laughs) you know like you know just yeah yeah, you can't you can't max this you can't yeah yeah. exactly set that up just so you know whatever you do is gonna sound pretty good and just like right like well I'll see you in like a week or whatever wow that's amazing one song one song and but then it was great it was absolutely great. And like they were happy. I was happy. Did you get a load of vocals you had to comp or did, did she do that? Or I think she did it as far as I right. remember, which is also fantastic. Yeah. You know, someone like Celeste, it's very, very difficult because the beauty about her is she undersings, you know, and it's like so many people like try too hard, give too much, try and like get into this like hyper real world of it, you know. Whereas she's so understated and confident in like her understated style, style almost to the point of there's certain songs where she's like whispering, it's like what is she saying? Or like what what is that lyric like on Strange? You know, I love the, how that song starts. And it's like what is she yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like you're just you're in in the yeah. world. You know, with her, it was quite difficult getting her into that place where there's a sweet spot where, you know, the producer in me, like, you know, the, the person that wants to sell loads of records or whatever, <laughs> or like, you know, is, yeah. is, is trying to like hype her up, yeah, yeah. get the fire in her belly to be like, you know, give me more and all that. To be fair, like that did work occasionally. And it, it did work a lot, like pushing her to kind of show her dynamic range and show her like expression through power and stuff. But there's a fine line with her when she's in her more natural restrained dynamic and it's kind of a fine line between absolutely insanely engaging mm. hair on the back of your neck performance and sounding kind of bored yeah. you know that's not a criticism of her at all she isn't like an actor you know this is the thing some some singers are actors she's like a direct bloody feed from you know from her, her soul mind. to like, the microphone exactly kind of yeah, yeah that's it 
And so, you know, that's never going to happen every day. Mm. You kind of just got to be really, really patient. She's either in that space or she's not in that space. Exactly. Yeah. But then there were times where, you know, like she was doing this song, I think it might have been like Not Your Muse we were doing. And there was, I think her boyfriend came to the studio late, really late one night. And we were doing some vocals. He kind of went into the booth with Celeste. And she, and then we got like two or three takes and it was like, that was amazing. Oh, you know? really? And I think singing for someone else, yeah. you know, and I think that song's a lot about, not necessarily about him. It's, it's really nice to hear that even though you were in the middle of a pandemic, you seem to have had like quite a lot of special moments producing it. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And uh, mostly because they're such lovely people. I know that I was reading that you said you like working with debut artists where mm. they may be a bit greener or a bit more open. And yeah. in this podcast, we're quite interested in those things that aren't necessarily just what I do is I set the ratio of the compressed like this and you're golden. Yeah. But more those things like how do you get that artist to kind of get into that space and enjoy that? But obviously, these are the kind of things you can do on a longer project. Yeah, definitely. I think so much of it is just how you feel as well. I think the more empathetic or like the more receptive you are to like the artists and how they're feeling and what the song's about and who they who they are and you know in that moment what are they thinking and feeling. I did um, an album with Lucy Rose yeah. ages ago, like her first album, because we were working res- residentially. Like so you in built her the studio in her house, is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like that, that was like really amazing in terms of her just being allowed to just be herself, you know, and and just there was no effectively that like nothing had changed. There was just a mic in front of her. Yeah. Then she, I think it was mainly Lucy's idea. She was just like. My parents have got this lovely house. I've always wanted to record there. There's a bomb shelter. (laughs) Wow. There was like a bomb shelter underneath the living room. So we recorded quite a bit of stuff in the bomb shelter. I think all the electric guitars are in the bomb shelter. All the amps were. Yeah. And then we did like a lot of percussion, some BVs and stuff all in the bomb shelter. That was amazing. Just So we just had these like two quite interesting recording spaces, like really dead kind of living room with the blazing fire it was beautiful we wanted to get on to talking about how you kind of wear so many different hats as as part of your job like you do writing playing producing and mixing and we just wanted to talk about how that how that works in practice with you doing so many different things across the project Uh, especially production and then mixing yeah that's that's a funny one because you know sometimes in my mind it's like it's so everything for me is part and parcel of a production effectively so like when i'm delivering a rough mix to someone unless i'm really being pushed by someone to hear something like really really quickly mm. i rarely send something to anyone that isn't in a place where i really like it yeah. you know right. like and i'll label my file like scratch demo yeah work in progress version zero or whatever you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah not done kind of thing and because, you're talking like, about the mix there no no i'm talking more right. about a production kind yeah, of thing but like, the stuff that you're not happy with will be just just in general about the production or because you haven't yeah maybe maybe or yeah. or or i'm happy with the production but i haven't got it necessarily sounding like right I the image of it entirely yeah. You know, or like it isn't paying off in the way I want. Like, you know, the chorus isn't hitting right. Well, whatever it is, this Dan Briskin album I'm doing at the moment, I spend bloody ages on the rough mixes right. because it's part and parcel of the production. And for me, it's like by getting things sitting where I want them and feeling how I want them, it kind of shows me if I need more or less. Right. Say, for example, like a drum kit, you know, a drum kit can be like so subtle or it can be like occupying so much space and Mm. like such a commanding feature of a song and everything in between. And so I do have kind of clear visions about how like I want things to be ultimately when I'm going into things. But I'm also really open for like the artistic process of change. I will sometimes capture something and I'm like, that's that is done 
basically, yeah. with a bit of care and attention, that's done. And I know I've got it there. Mm. But then there's other things like more programmed and produced stuff like this Daniel Briskin album, I find it's not necessarily got the magic in the multi-track, you know, with a band and live performances, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you kind of have a magic or you don't, you know, yeah. whereas like with a program thing, it may just need like transitional elements. It may need things to cut out more like sound changes, more layering, mm. more like mm-hmm. less layering, less stuff, like whatever, you know. Like, so Can I just ask with this Dan Briskin album, is it going to go on to be mixed by someone else? Or do you know if you're going to mix it? And like, how does that affect the process? Well, either way so even if you're not even if you're not doing it you're going to do a really really good rough mix yeah yeah Yeah. definitely definitely like i want i want them to be getting and like i have no qualms about sending my whole rough mix as it is you know you know some people are like oh well you're not going to use me to mix it all right well here's my dry multi-track or whatever it's like (laughs) that doesn't help anyone you know and i just want them to pick up from where i left off i'll have an open dialogue with a mixer about you know have you got this weird plugin that I've used because yeah. I've used it all over this or like, how do you want me to do it? Should I commit them or blah, blah, yeah. blah. What, yeah, 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 yeah. All, all of that stuff, I kind of have a pretty open dialogue with whoever's mixing. But then my, my sort of view is like, I try and take the production as much as I can and as much time as I can put into like rough mixing and getting it really feeling good. I will always do that. And then sometimes it's a case where, say for example, I end up mixing something that I've produced, which happens quite a lot. Most of the time, I like a bit of perspective, you know, like Mm. a bit of time between like, right, that's where I would send a project to a mixer. And at that point, even for myself, I'll do things like, you know, any software instruments or like samplers or whatever, I'm just get it all printed. So, you know, I'm not, there's that little string, whatever thing. That's yeah. audio, you know, yeah. it's audio because yeah. yeah. I don't want to be second guessing my like part, you know, if yeah. I'm, if I'm, if I'm second guessing my part, it's not ready. How has that, that line between mix, uh, production and mixing blurred in the sort of 10, 15 years or more, like however long you've been yeah. doing the job, has it, has it changed or? Yeah, definitely. I'd say just, you know, the dawn of how amazing bloody plugins are yeah. and like, everything mm. like that. Yeah. It's way more sort of seamless, isn't it? I used to, when I was mixing kind of, 10 years ago, eight, 10 years ago, more than that, I'd be given multi-tracks and it's like, you know, there's not a single plugin on it. And you get a Pro Tools session, like if you're lucky, and um, there might be like our compressor on the lead vocal or something. Right. Everything else is just the way it is, you know? Right, and wow. like not necessarily committed. And like the rough mix might sound totally different or it's wow. just like doesn't sound good. Yeah. I think one thing that's really changed is I think no matter where you're recording something or how you're doing it i'd say it's easier for like your kind of amateur producer or whatever to be achieving really good results or like you're just your home not necessarily amateur like you're you know your professional producer who sits at home and does it yeah it's phenomenal to be able to like work such high standard at home It's, it's a great place to be and i think that's just meant like everyone's had to up their game that leads me on to something else i want i really wanted to ask like when you said sure. you were listening to a song and like you're done you're that moment when you're dancing around the room you get on your feet and stuff <laughs> it makes me think like yeah. how how subjective do you think mixing is because when i was a little bit inexperienced i used to think of it as a real technical thing and obviously mm. there is a lot of technical stuff that goes into it but as i've done more and more mixing myself i've sort of realized there's no right way of doing it would you agree yeah. with that Definitely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's definitely no right way to do it. And sometimes you hear someone's mix that they've done on their headphones or whatever, on their iPhone headphones or whatever, and it's just got a mood, and you'd mm. never capture that again. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's good to have the technical ability to like know how to fix something. You know, if you need to, or know how to mm. craft something into like deeper brighter fuller wider like a more interesting like sonic space yeah you know i think it's also good to know like when to not do that as well and like you know less is more you know some mastering engineers it's the same thing it's like you know we'll be mastering the album and they're just like yeah cool sounds great and you're like, what? Like, <laughs> add, add some top end, for God's sake. Yeah, like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Do something, you know. Yeah. But then it's part of them. But it's like vetting the mixes, you know. It's like, yeah, that one's, that one's fine. 
the Florence single, which I guess probably became kind of a bit of a cornerstone for you as a calling card, it comes yeah. quite early on for you, right? Very, yeah. What was that like for you to go into that situation and be like, okay? Um, gonna... Well, bloody hell. I mean, <laughs> where do I start with that? I mean, I sort of met Florence's manager and I was doing them a favour and I was driving. They, she was in this DJ crew called like Queens of Noise, right? Yeah, I remember that. Well, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I met them at a party and they were like, oh, like we, we're looking for someone to drive us to Reading Festival and then up to Leeds Festival. <laughs> and like, you know, for Queens of Noise thing. And we've also got this artist, Florence, who's playing, you know. And I, at this time I was a studio engineer like at the Dairy Studios. Yeah, sorry, I should really start with that. I was an engineer at a studio and, you know, I kind of like went up within the ranks of the studio or whatever. And I, I kind of came at an interesting time where I was given a few opportunities there. And then yeah. I was kind of the main engineer there for a while. And the beauty of that was, you know, I had the keys to like a bloody yeah. phenomenal studio. And it was kind of like this amazing opportunity because it's like, oh, I've got the keys. I know how to use all this stuff. I can probably persuade like an assistant to come and help me. And so like I had this brilliant carrot to dangle in front of the artists that I really like. Just be like, come and record with me. You know, like it will be great. I have the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. And so basically to cut a very long story short, I drove up to Leeds. It was the maddest night of my life. (laughs) And then got to know Florence's managers I just sort of said like oh look I do work at the studio Florence was amazing like blown away I met Florence that weekend briefly and stuff yeah it was one of those things where like yeah yeah cool yeah let's do it let's do it you know didn't think I'd hear anything back really yeah. then you know two weeks later she was like oh actually you know we've, we've got this song coming out on Moshi Moshi Records and like we need a b-side so you're up for doing it and I was like definitely yeah definitely yeah. So I chatted to Florence a bit like on the phone. She was like, oh, yeah, I want to do, really want to do a cover of, I think it was Electric Feel by MGMT, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, oh, wicked. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I can hear that. But the whole time I was like, that's sort of like a current tune. It feels a bit funny. Yeah, so like they came in. And I remember literally we didn't know what we were doing on the day. It was, and that whole song was like a day and a half's work. The last thing I heard was, we're doing a cover of Electric Feel. I think I like worked out all the chords yeah, <laughs> or yeah. like whatever. And then like they came in all the day and they were like, actually, I want to do Woman by Wolf Mother. Yeah, wow. I was like, okay. Okay, yeah. All right, yeah. Okay, like, you know, slightly feeling like, fuck, the rug has just been pulled out from underneath <laughs> me as well, you know, <laughs> like in terms of like preparation. And Scrunch like up the Electric Feel chords off that. Yeah, noise. exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. And then I think Isabella, who's such a lovely person who's technically the machine she's the machine yeah. <laughs> yeah she's the machine i love her she's brilliant i haven't seen her in years and she she was sort of like oh what about you got the love because we did a cover of it at festival and like it was wicked immediately i was like that sounds like it would be fantastic you know like that that sounds like it really worked and then kind of everyone was like oh yeah no that's brilliant yeah like you know and you could just feel the mood of everyone was just hyped and I, yeah, I was tune. down Big for that. Tune. Like, that yeah. sounds, you know, I'm so up for it. Literally, we just bloody went for it. Wow. <laughs> it was so weird and, like, proper, like, like this cool energy and, you know, not, not necessarily perfect altogether. You know, it was, like, a, a lively and fun. I was like, bloody hell, these people are amazing. You know, I was just blown away. I went to art college and, you know, I've met my fair share of like eccentric people mm. <laughs> you know and it was like oh yeah like I really felt like I was home you know with them nice. because it yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. kind of people it was more like chaos and, and, and you just kind of had to herd that onto the tape almost yeah totally yeah and I think who rocks up to do a demo with a harp player you know <laughs> and so like you know I was just like this is, this is amazing yeah. do you and, remember and the so- vocal tape do you, or was it just such a blur well, there's a few, so there's two versions of the song and like the album version is the vocal take that we got basically either that day or the day after. But literally we had like no time. You know, we, did, we did that whole song in a day, basically. Yeah, but then actually I think I was happy with, I, could, I think we got about like 
six or seven takes of the vocal and like i mean she is amazing with her it's capturing a storm in like in a bottle yeah she's just phenomenal and but so like expressive and not like a session singer you know in in the way that she'll do like five takes and they're like pretty much completely different and it's so interesting now because things that i comp into her vocal on those days 10 years ago or whatever it was or more 12 years ago she does them live and stuff yeah. you, know, it's like, you know it's like and I had like weird different options for everything because it's like and I'd be like oh can you do that bit again when you do that and it's like I literally don't know what you're talking about kind of thing you know like she she's just this amazing I mean I could talk yeah. all day about yeah. how like mind-blowing she is as a singer and a person and everything. Sure. I just kind of tried to get as much as I could and then I comped my favorite take out of I forget how many we had, yeah. but it was it was kind of like a day, a day and a half, let's say, tracking, and then maybe three days of just me sort of going through it all and kind of getting it feeling how I want to, and me like adding a few bits. I think I added some percussion, but it was pretty much as we had it. It's great to hear the story of how it how it came together, and like, did the success of Lungs put your career into a new lane? Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. And to be honest, like, I wasn't ready for it. You know, right. because I think, like, still the biggest song I've ever worked on. Yeah, like, really? Like, right. yeah, yeah. Just, well, I don't know. Yeah, Except that then, But then two years later, you did You Don't Need Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ed Sheeran, yeah. So like, you just thought like, you'd spend three years doing, like, the two defining tracks of... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> like, like, yeah, I guess the Ed Sheeran track's pretty big. <laughs> it was definitely too early for me. Just because it opened so many doors. Um mm. I'm so grateful for that because I learned so much in that time mm. and I got a lot better. But, you know, all of a sudden it's like getting employed as a producer sure. rather than an engineer. Yeah. And I have been producing people a bit, but kind of like recreationally, you know, like bringing yeah. people in like that I believed in and kind of like wanting to work on their stuff. And it was fun. I wasn't really getting paid for it, you know, and I wasn't really like... Booking string sections you know, and talking to label yeah. bosses. and Oh, God, yeah. yeah like never done... Yeah, like, so I was sort of catapulted off the back of that. But the thing is, it was funny because I did that, and it was one of those things where, you know, I was really busy at the time, like, with engineering and, like, doing a few other projects and stuff. That It was just like, oh, yeah, that was a brilliant few days. Yeah, I yeah, really yeah. I love that. It's, it's great. I'll always remember about that tune. It's like I played it to my brother, and he was like, that's going to be massive. I was like, what? Like, he never says stuff like that. (laughs) It's a B-side. It's a cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He should go and work for a record label. I know, he should. He's got a a phenomenal ear. I was going to say, did you you have any inkling of how big it might be? I mean, yeah, basically. Well, no, I... No, there's no way. In my <laughs> you world. can't know that. No, not to that no, extent. No, no, not in my wildest dreams would yeah. I have yeah. thought, yeah. you know, what has happened with that tune. Mm. At the same time, like, I thought, bloody hell, she's amazing. First and foremost, she's yeah. amazing. You thought and she would be a, a, a success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is amazing. Like, I've never experienced anything like that. And I think because we did it so quickly, it feels sort of on the right side of big. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, and, it's uh, not pompous, it's pure. Exactly, yeah. It's big because the performance is big, you know, and it's not big because every sound is completely calculated within an inch of its life or, like, the parts really intricate or, like, informing the dynamics too much. It's just pretty blocky. So much of it was just, like, the performance. You didn't mm. have to help it too much, you know? It's like, yeah. that's wicked. It's amazing how, like, those little chance things, like driving someone to a festival or whatever, yeah. opens these doors... Yeah, that you just you couldn't plan that as part of your career trajectory to suddenly like. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I fancy it driving to bloody, you know, and all this. And I was like, no, it's going to be fucking fun. I'm getting free tickets to these shows. It's going to be wicked. Like it's going to be a laugh. I've got a mate who says always do the thing, and this is a great example of doing the thing. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, it's funny. My father-in-law, my father-in-law's kind of philosophy in life is always do the generous thing. Which I think oh, is really that's, nice. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah. 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 And so, like, I've started to hopefully try and take that on a bit. But always do the thing is also good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare once said that music is the food of love. But what is the food of music? As much as the right microphone or guitar amp, what we eat or drink can be such a crucial part of a recording session. So each week we like to ask our guests, what do they cook or order to get the mood right in the studio? Well, okay, right. 
<laughs> I don't know if it's whether to put my foot in it this much with the Celeste album, but basically, you know, because there were so many people involved, we had to eat. So it was yeah. like, well, we need to have an account. We need to have like a delivery account that's just getting dealt with. We were just like, right, we just got to get the food budget sorted now. <laughs> and so it was, it was carte blanche, basically. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> was fantastic, just because people wanted to eat at different times. Like, I'm a massive advocate. I'm like, you know, the family that eats together stays together. Kind yeah. of like, In the studio, I like to eat with the people I'm working with. I do. But, like, I get that that doesn't always work with singers who want to eat at particular times or, you know, someone's a vegan, someone's what, you know. Sure. And so it was great to have that. But, like, I couldn't answer this question without, like, Richie Kennedy, who, like, engineered the Celeste stuff with me and Josh Crocker. Uh, has always relentlessly t- took the piss out of me for like <laughs> I would say like oh I just want something small you know like I, f- I really just want something healthy and small and I just got like a, a whole crispy aromatic duck <laughs> 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 and so like yeah I think he'd be annoyed with me if I didn't mention that <laughs> oh, amazing. so so the uh, Charlie Huckle special is to Pretend that you're having a small vegan salad yeah. and go hard on the red meat. Yeah. <laughs> Favourite reverb? Ricasti M7. Favourite delay? Space Echo. Oh, cool. Favourite compressor? Oh, I mean, straight away I just thought 1176. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, I mean... Yeah, eleven seventy-six. Hard, hard to see past it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it? I mean it's amazing, isn't it? All right, but I mean, there's so many phenomenal ones. I love just honourable mention. Okay. Uh, well, two. We'll allow uh, you two honourable mentions. Okay, right. Zena, <laughs> uh, the Chandler Zena. I've got one of them. It's basically like a TG one, but with more control. And then the other one, I'd say, unsung hero, kind of boring. Inward connections, Vacrack, TSL four. <laughs> <laughs> it's technical you want it technical yeah. it's so trans it's just like you know it's one of those things like if i'm like oh what does this vocal need you know like if i'm mixing that if it's like an in the box mix or like whatever you know i'll just be like put the tsl4 on and it just holds the vocal makes it slightly brighter it's lovely moving on favorite synth oh mini moog oh cool final one favorite microphone 251 but i have to say my 251 is uh actually like a replica one it's like a, a sound deluxe one a, a bock i think david bock or something's the guy who makes them and i love them i love those mics i've used real 251s they're amazing but i just like i love the 251 the thing i love about it is it's everything okay yeah it's, yeah Everything is three-dimensional, it's bright, it's full, it's rich, it's everything. What's the most important tool at your disposal as a producer? Oh, God. Um, I'd say this is... You, you can, you can to- take it any way you, want, you wish. Okay, I think 100% perspective. Oh, nice, love it. Yeah, That's 100%. It. Yeah, because I've got a daughter, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter and a lovely wife and just my life you know is I love my home life I love my work so dearly and I love like my home life so dearly and my family so dearly and it's kind of enabled me to kind of think less about work I think for me it's the perspective of living life you know and particularly with songwriting I find if I don't live a life then I can't write a song but then also when I'm producing someone and just like not hearing the song and not thinking about the song is brilliant because I used to work to like three in the morning all the time and then you know be up and like being like I've got to get back in the studio be back in it at like 11 it was it was madness and (laughs) The first listen on the next day is, is more valuable than mm. 50 listens in the night or whatever. And you see the bigger picture way more. I think it's amazing to be talking to someone that produced a song that has just 
been the soundtrack for the last 10 years of my life. Um, and I've heard You've Got the Love by Florence and the Machine so many times. It still sounds fresh. And it kind of has a mythical status as a song. I don't think that's too much to say. No. And then to just hear this lovely man sit in his front room and tell this like insane story about how it got made. There's there's so little guile and planning. It's it's just a beautiful thing that that he helped make happen, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool to hear how he got involved in it, and um, the always do the thing uh, one liner is is proved true once more. Um, yeah, it, like, I I think I took two things away from that, which was one, I loved how unplanned it was. I love yeah. that they didn't even know that was the cover they were going to do before they turned up because you can get so into your head when you're making records about like, this is the chosen single. Mm -hmm. This is the, the yeah. we need a new middle eight on this song because it's going to be the lead single or this is the yeah. song that's going to get as the playlist and, and maybe another song gets neglected or you don't, you don't pay enough attention to everything or you don't want to just do something you've come up with on the day because you haven't, you haven't worked out all your parts and like, yeah. no vibe is still so important and I, like moments are so still so important. Yeah, I, I have to remember that all the time that you you don't know what's going to be the thing that's going to take your career to the next level or be mm. the special thing that, that that transcends what you're doing at the moment. And I often get a bit stuck in a rut of like, oh, you know, how how am I am I doing the right things to move forward? But, but you've just got to trust in the process and know that if if you're doing the right things day to day, following your instincts almost. Yeah, you, you're you you'll come into contact with the right people or the right or the right song or whatever it is, and you just cannot plan it. No, and you have to look under rocks, but you've also got to like let the waves come to you. You got to yeah. you got to be open. You got to have your freak your kind of frequency open to that stuff. It reminds me of something we did. We've done some work with a lady called Trudy Mossiamo, who is one of the PRS for women. She was funded to do that. She's working on a musical about her heritage in Zimbabwe and as a Zimbabwean refugee. And she's an incredible artist. And I met her in a library because yeah. um, she, she has an amazing vibe. She's, she's got great, amazing hair. And she has these amazing outfits that she wears that are kind of influenced by her heritage. And I just, I was like, you just look amazing. You've clearly got a cool vibe. I'd heard her speaking. She had an American accent but she kind of spoke with a British cadence. And, yeah. and I just was like, I just want to know your story. And then we got talking, she found out I produced music and she was working on that. She'd got this funding from PRS and, and we've been working together for two years now. And that didn't come from a networking night. It didn't yeah. come from even going to a show. It just came from talking about music and life and things. And it's kind of what happened to Charlie with being yeah. at a party and meeting these girls that were managing a band and needed a driver. I mean, yeah. He yeah. could have easily gone, Amazing. no, I'm a record producer. I'm not driving you to Leeds. Yeah. But yeah, but he, he just had a feeling. He, you could tell he had a feeling that this was going to be worth doing, even if it was just for the in-the-moment experience. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't have to be part of a plan, and I, yeah. lo I love that. He, he wasn't even like, oh, maybe I should do this because like Mairead and, and Tabitha are good people to know, and, and maybe no, I could produce Florence. Like that, that all he just liked later. them. He, yeah. liked, he loved Florence, and yeah. <clears throat> So yeah. that was a really nice takeaway, like one mm. with a lot of soul, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There I was think, no ooh. no tips you can take into your like production session, really, uh, and no, how to make yes. a hit. It was just more of a kind of how to live your life thing yeah. that I took from and him, he, which is great. And Charlie exudes that, which I really like. Yeah. Um, another takeaway, maybe on more your side of the ball and maybe more in that like process thing that, that you've just alluded to. Yeah is how Charlie mixes, which I thought was also quite interesting. Yeah, it was really fun. As soon as he uh, started talking about like dancing around the room and stuff, it got me thinking about the subjective nature of mixing, which is something that I think about a lot. And um, I was really pleased that he, he agreed with kind of my, think found. my thinking. Yeah, I, I hadn't really made up my mind about it yet because I actually hadn't spoken to lots of mixers about it. I just, I just sort of had this realization that was part of my because I've only I've been producing for sort of 10 15 years but I've only been mixing for three or four and mm. I still feel myself as fairly novice when it comes to mixing and I, I just always used to be a bit daunted by just the amount of technical knowledge you need so, to, yeah. to do it to even yeah. start doing it and yeah. and um 
and I thought, that, well, that's that's just an exponential line as as you get better in, in quotation marks. You yeah, the more need... the more you learn, the less you know, almost kind of thing. Yeah, and I and I was like, well, this is so so challenging. But then I actually just did some mixes, and there's definitely areas of my knowledge that I I'm not as strong on. But I felt like the mixes were still okay, and was still yeah. like if you played them to a layman, like were side by side okay compared to like a really high-end mix like not to my ears like nowhere near as good but like i felt like you know okay this is a mix this is a version of the song and it's not awful mm. and i started realizing like, well maybe like doing it my way is just one of an infinite number of ways of doing it and i don't need to panic that like i'm not at the top of this mountaintop of of like mm. 30 years and no one's born at the top of the mountain right yeah yeah you know you have to kind of do those things and and if you're if you're hampered or like hamstrung by thinking i you know i didn't go to penn state to study audio engineering when i was 16 yeah so can i mix a record you're never going to mix a record no and obviously loads and loads and loads of people didn't take that path and loads of other people came to mixing from i've made a tune i like mm. i'm going to spend some time making it sound as good as it can now yeah and yeah. that's, mix that's mixing, isn't it? Yeah, so right. I was saying mixing is subjective and, and you countered that with an even more concise way of saying it. Mixing yeah, is... Yeah, I just thought of mixing as a feeling. Yeah. Yeah, because I suppose technically it's subjective and, and how you approach it, but the result is, without getting too pseudo, pseudo about it, but yeah. I, I think if you've ever had something mixed by someone that you've created and then you've heard it and it's moved you, is it is a feeling and it is an artistic statement yeah. and a yeah. great mix is like it's really nice to talk about this in a in a situation because it's the kind of stuff i'd love to talk to people about all the time and i just don't want to bore them but yeah some of the best moments i've had in music are getting sent a mix of something that i loved and i was worried about and you put it on and you're just like this person's made this sing and this is this yeah. he i'm hearing things i didn't know were there and mm. it's such a beautiful thing when a great mix comes back and I, I don't mix and I, I'm not, not going to pretend to know how to mix. But if I was to approach mixing, I would feel exactly how you've just said there. I'd be like, I need to EQ this kick so that it works on six different systems and mm, it punches yeah. through. And yeah. the 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 um, the demo sounds great already. I've just got to refine things. And there there is an element of that. Mm. But even if all you're doing is just making the demo a bit louder and more vibey and it makes people lose their shit, you've, you've mixed it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and so yeah yeah that, that's this could be a really neat segue onto talking about something else that 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 i want to discuss is um how charlie chose to answer the most important tool question yeah and he always said, a fun one perspective and i yeah. i was just really uh stunned by that in a good way uh, i thought it was a great answer and like something a mixer does is is provide a new perspective on a song and yes. Charlie talks about how important that perspective is when you're working on a track in terms of just walking away from it for a night or for a day or for an hour. I'm, I really um, I really love how you can take that question anywhere. And there's a lot I, I, I think about the perspective thing because I'm, I'm a dad too now and I've got a one and a half year old and yeah. that does put music making in perspective. That's another layer of perspective. Perspective, yeah. Mm. But I also just love that simple thing of just saying like, and we've all been there. Like the first listen in the morning is a thousand times more valuable than the 500th listen at midnight. Kind yeah. Of. And I think it's easy to say that with, with perspective or hindsight. Like you yeah. do need to do those 12-hour days in the studio or 14-hour days in the studio sometimes. You just, sometimes you just got to track things. And yeah. sometimes you're chasing a sound. And, but more, you've also got to realize to just pause and stop and yeah go more, more recently walk. when when i'm with an in doing a production session with an artist and they're clearly keen to continue because it's their song and they want to grind at it yeah but if i can tell that i'm no longer adding anything because i've got no perspective yeah, and, and, ears are and tired. you know yeah and possibly possibly they are in the same position quite likely um yeah. i'll just say i think we've done enough for today even if we've only yeah. been in maybe four hours Maybe they yeah. came in after lunch and it's six PM and I'm like oh, I can't I can't really hear it anymore. There yeah. isn't any point 
and and maybe maybe a few years ago i would have gone like no that's let's grind like let's do the work like oh we've only been in the studio four hours it's not long enough but like realistically if if you're not if you're no longer hearing it it's a waste of time it's a waste of energy go and live your life get that more wider sense of perspective that you're talking about with your family yeah uh, or your friends or just get away from music for a bit and don't kill yourself or or go to a club and listen to a thousand different songs that you've never heard before that's with people that's the best kind of inspiration you can get go out and listen to other music and see people react to music in in real life rather than just sit in front of your door on the same eight bar loop yeah it's so true um and you again you gotta there's there's hours of growing that you do gotta do but they should it shouldn't be that as you say like almost I uh, hesitate to use this phrase, but like macho, like we're going to do, we're go- we'll be here till two today, guys. Yeah. I, I think it's silly like, uh, to be honest. And, well, and you, I... you know that, <clears throat> you know that a lot of records have been made that way. And you do know, as I say, that like there are yeah. times where it's just got to be done. Yes. If you but are I on think... a deadline, I'm sure there's some yeah. big projects where it just has to be done. And but yeah. I'm sure a lot, but I think a lot of the production that you're, you're, do- no, I'm sure there was times when Charlie was in the studio and they were like, we need this mix by then. And he's like, yeah, I will go to sleep when this mix is done. And then you've just got to do it. Yeah. And you've just got to do it. And that's like probably not writing the second verse like that or finding the synth sound for the chorus like that. It's not going to be the way to do it. And like, yeah, I've never been a fan of the sort of self flagellation just so you can say that you've done it almost. Or just so you know, I've done, I've done a fair bit of it and it's, uh, it's not, it's not usually the best creative process. Yeah. And then then you're yourself for the next day as well. Then you're, you're messy the next day. And yeah, he had, as you say, there was layers to his answers about perspective. But I just hearing that was just like, yes, you press yeah. play in the morning and you know whether what you did was good or bad. Yeah, really cool. Really um, cool. It shows how um, I think a lot of good producers are just really nice people as well, because you mm-hmm. really have to be. There was nothing Charlie wouldn't talk to us about, and I think like, I think while we were tracking the interview, if you'd. Have if you'd have gone and looked on like what's number the number one album in in Britain right now, it was the Celeste album, like not yep. your muse, which he had a huge role in producing. And yet he was happy to sit on his couch for a couple of hours and, and talk to us about his he, process. He, w- he would have talked for another hour as well. I think he's going to be the only guest where like we had to go before the guest did. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> I want a Charlie Hugel part two, basically. I think Once it's probably on over, the cards. I think we'd love to get him back in because he there's more yeah, to there's I mean, more. I mean, we didn't even he produced um he's produced Ed Sheeran. We didn't um, talk about that so much. So yeah, as always, big thanks to Charlie for the interview. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, keep keep reaching out to us, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you soon. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the process of production this week. If you enjoyed it, please give us a follow and maybe even a five star review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. It really helps. And please get in touch if you have any thoughts on the show, questions you'd like answered, or producers you'd like to see featured. We'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at process of production and our email is process of production podcast gmail.com. Next week, our guest is Ben Christophers, who, after a fascinating career as a solo artist, came into production working alongside Natasha Khan as part of Bat for Lashes. We'll talk to him about that journey from artist to producer and how it's affected his process of production. <laughs>